I'm Tony Epstein, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WGDR. My guests are Stanislav Grof and Brigitte Grof. Stan Grof is a world-renowned psychotherapist and explorer of consciousness through psychedelics and breathwork beginning way back in the 1950s. And he's the founder of Holotropic Breathwork and Grof Breathwork. And the author of numerous books, including The Way of the Psychonaut, and When the Impossible Happens. Brigitte Graf is a psychologist, psychotherapist, and artist, and she's been facilitating holotropic breathwork workshops and training since 1989. In honor of Stan's 90th birthday, they have a new book that just came out in the U.S. titled Stanislav Graf, LSD Pioneer, From Pharmacology to Archetypes, featuring a wonderful interview between Stan and his wife, Brigitte, exploring the long arc of Stan's profound life's work in psychedelic research and transpersonal psychology. Stan and Brigitte, I'm so excited to have the two of you because this is such an incredibly fascinating subject. Well, yeah. thank you so much for having us and thank you so much for your excitement. Yeah, It's really nice. So first off, I just love this book and especially the interview. And I actually went back and I read it a second time. And wow. while reading it both times, I had lots and lots of new insights into past experiences, including my past experiences of doing this type of breath work and the experiences that I've had, including childhood mystical experiences that are very mm -hmm. connected to all of this long before I started using psychedelics in that way. Very interesting, yeah. That's great. Well, we are so happy that eventually the book came out in English. You know, we've been waiting for a long time for that. It already exists in German, in French, in Czech, in Spanish. So we are very happy to see it in English. Yes, and I totally loved the interview that you did. It was so insightful, and you talked about things that perked my interest, which we'll be getting into in this conversation. So Stan was over 60 years in that field, 
in the research with psychedelics and holotropic states and what developed, there were certain steps that he describes this like a treasure hunt, you know, and so he found something and then after a while he found other things and he had to change his worldview and understanding of the psyche. So this was like an ongoing life process up until now. And of course, I was writing books in between and always with different stages. Yes. And so it's great that you came with the idea that mm -hmm. we should actually start from the beginning to the end, where we are now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I just found your perinatal matrices utterly fascinating, and it made so much sense to me. And mm -hmm. this book was my introduction to that. So mm -hmm. thank you so wow. much for that. And Oh, wow. So perhaps we could begin by talking about how psychedelic substances have been used in many cultures for millennia and the role they play in those cultures. For example, it seems almost certain that they were used to facilitate expanded states of consciousness in the initiation into the Eleusinian mysteries in ancient Greece, where everyone was really expected to participate at least once in their lives. Well, it was actually for 2,000 years every five years. Mm -hmm. Quite amazing. And when I talked with Albert, Albert Hoffman, you know, he was able to find out that the substance which was there, the cacao, was actually very similar to LSD. And so, you know, to see that something that was happening for 2000 years could also influence the intelligence in the country. The whole culture. Because, yeah. yeah. The philosophers. Yeah. What were the philosophy, the sciences? Yeah. In addition to everything else in this book, including all the wonderful testimonials from your friends and colleagues in this work over the many years, I also loved the way you spoke about Albert Hoffman, who is the creator or discoverer mm -hmm. of LSD as being such a profoundly wise and deeply compassionate and spiritual person. Mm -hmm. You know, what's actually happening in the, in the book are two different things. One is the development of LSD, and the other one was actually my development with LSD from mm -hmm. the beginning to the end. Actually, just recently an article came out that in France, they found in one of these caves where they have these cave paintings, these Paleolithic cave paintings of shamans and so on. They found the remains of people who lived there at the time, and they found some psychedelic substances in their remains that yeah. was already, already used at that time, you know? Yeah, I read and interviewed Bruce Murrescu, who wrote a book about mm -hmm. this subject. And he was doing research into all the discoveries of evidence of psychedelic substances in residues of ancient brewing tanks and also mm. finding ergot in between the teeth of certain corpses in, in certain mm -hmm. places mm -hmm. where these things were happening, where these initiations were mm. happening. Wow. So it seems very, very likely that that's what was happening back 2,000 years ago and, of course, long before then. Yes. I mean, when you really study these things and look at these things, then it's incredible what we as the Western industrial culture have an amnesia about these states of consciousness. I mean, they were everywhere and we just cut ourselves off in the materialistic world or attitude 
it's really amazing once you get see the overview of the history and the world. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's also fascinating how Albert Hoffman discovered the consciousness expanding properties of LSD at the same time that we dropped the atomic bomb. Yes. Uh, yes. So it was it was like the greater intelligence of the planet revealing a new way of changing and healing our disconnected perspective and and destructive relationship with the world. Yeah, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Brigitte, tell us about how this book came to be. Well, we had this interview and Stan was so excited about that interview. So I thought when his 90th birthday was approaching, I thought, well, I should publish it for him somehow, you know. But of course, it alone was not enough to fill a book. So I kind of sneaking around him, you know, we, we have a very good relationship. We don't have any secrets. So for me, it was really difficult to yeah. have a secret project for him. And I was, you know, said, oh, you like that interview? So what would go well with this? And he said, oh, the foreword I wrote for Albert Hoffman, LSD, my problem child, this is such a great foreword. It's also all about the development of LSD. So I was like, okay, I knew I should put that together. And then I got the idea to put in a lot of pictures and photos. And I started to connect the old friends, co-travelers, the transpersonal co-travelers. And I asked them to write a birthday greeting for Stan from their heart. And so they did that. And I got the photos together. And I called our friends in Switzerland. And I would like to do this book. Are you with me? Would you do it? And they said, okay. You know, we all had no time. We are all overworked. And so this was like a night shift project. And in one month, we did that book for Stan. And I asked his brother if he would fund it. And he said, of course. And so this book is really, really made with love. I mean, it just it probably got that spirit by reading it. And so it arrived one day before his birthday. I got one copy. And then yeah. on the birthday, it was on the table. Yeah. And when Stan saw the book and opened it, he was in tears. Yeah, we were sitting at the table, you mm. know, and we were about to eat in the morning. Mm. And there was a little gift for the new birthday. <laughs> and I opened it. I just couldn't believe when I saw it. Mm. I really feel this was the greatest thing that I ever get, you know, for my birthday. Okay. And it was amazing that it was completely secret, you know. Mm. Yeah, the love in this book just totally comes through. I mean, the book is totally full of love. And that's another thing that I loved about this book was that quality and also getting to know you, Stan, as a human being, as a deeply spiritual and connected human being. Mm -hmm. That was very moving for me. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I just would like to add that Stan had a stroke five years ago that affected his speech center. He was not paralyzed or anything, and it got much better, but he cannot give talks and things anymore. And his mind is totally functional, but he sometimes doesn't find words. So I also help him to find words. It's wonderful to do it with Brigitte, because at this point we have done everything together, you know, yes. and so very likely what I have to say, uh, you would know. Well, I say we, we make a team, you know, Stan knows everything and sometimes doesn't know the words. I don't know everything, but I mostly find the words working in tandem for clarification. This is very difficult for me, you know, because you know, in the past, yeah. when I was doing seminars or something like this, 
it was usually with you know with three different languages and right. we were coming to it and I said what am I supposed to talk about you know what is my subject for the weekend <laughs> in no German notes, no notes no notes know? and so this is quite different for me but Especially- the good thing is that Stan had this series with Shift Network that was Psychology of the Future and then called The Way of the Psychonaut, which one was seven seminars, one a week, and then the other one was 24. And that was before the stroke. So everything Stan knows is recorded and also all his slideshows and everything is there in these teleseminars. And then because it was 24, he had to leave his comfort zone and really dig deeply into all his knowledge. And there are things that were not published before. And then we looked at it and I said, well, now there's all this information. Why don't you make that an encyclopedia of all your knowledge? And that's how the way of the psychonaut books were created. It's actually one book in two volumes. And it's an amazing, amazing work of Stan's. All his knowledge is in there. And there is the difference because in his other books, he always had to repeat the basic things like the matrixes. And here he could just start, explain everything and then build up other things on it. So this is a book that we absolutely recommend for anybody who's seriously entering these states of consciousness. I mean, you can find everything there that you can encounter and understand. And it was very interesting that also the film was psychonaut. And I managed to say the last thing that I had to say in the film. Yes, you finished before more. the stroke. Yeah, it was lucky. It was interesting you know. that it came at the time, you know. Yes. So your knowledge is is really saved and for the future. That's really great. Because I, I don't know anybody who knows as much as them about these states. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to reading The Way of the Psychonaut. And it exists also as audiobook, read by Becca Tarnas, the daughter of Rick Tarnas. And this yeah, is also yeah, amazing. I've, she has uh-huh. a great voice and it's really also great to listen to as well. Because it was very, very difficult, you know, there's so many different things about chemistry, about philosophy, yeah, about yeah. astrology. And we got up to 10 actors, actors you know, to and read not it. able to do it. And so we didn't know what to do. And we came to Prague and at the conference. And Becca, yeah, Becca was there. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is the voice, you know, that we yeah. want. And then people were saying, yeah, but, you know, you need a man. I said, well, who said, you know? Yeah. And I actually love it. Yes, she's, yes. she's, she's reads it beautifully. And she really understands what she's reading. That was the problem with the actors. They had no clue what they were reading. And you could and, tell. And I just love to, to listen to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, she's great. She's been on the, on my show as well. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. She's working on Stan's biography. Really? Yeah. And she's uh, continuing the legacy of her father's work as well. Yeah, she's teaching at CIIS, the Cosmos and Psyche. So perhaps we could get into what you call the perinatal matrices and how you Mm -hmm. discovered them. I started working with LSD, pharmacology, you know, and everything was done in laboratory. And we didn't really deal with people that were experienced. We were just taking, you know, blood and urine and EEG. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very interesting that there were some very short periods when I was able to listen to those people. Mm-hmm. 
that I realized how different it was. They were working with the same substance, the same setting, and at the same time, it was different experience. And so I realized that we are not working with pharmacology. Um, I left the laboratory and I went to clinic, you know, with patients. We we were working with the psyche, you know. And what happened at the beginning, it was like a psychosis. Mm -hmm. And do something to stop it, you Mm -hmm. know. And this suddenly was a completely different idea that we are actually working with using it for healing rather than stop it. And so I actually started at meeting LSD dosages, you know, mm-hmm. which was very interesting because some people were eyes open and when they're looking at me, I was changing, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes like the Jaguar, mm-hmm. sometimes like Hitler. And also looking around, the environment was completely changed. You know, they have the feeling that we are somewhere in the Pacific, you know, or you know, Bordeaux, <laughs> the changes all the time. And so it was very, very interesting. I was trying to use the principle with free associations to understand, you know, why it happened, why I was seeing this way, why it was feeling this way. So it was very exciting. I also had the idea to see the different stages, you know, as we were increasing this LSD dosages. But then I don't have the best result, you know, because the best thing is when the patients would close their eyes and and, Eye shades. and using music mm-hmm. and clearly seeing what's happening inside. Mm-hmm. And so we found this perinatal matrices. He switched to using high dosages and took it inward with the eye shades and music and then discovered that, you know, suddenly there was like processes that were really intense and people felt like they were dying and being born at the same time. So what you were doing is by using the eye shades and music, you were turning people's outward projections back inside of themselves. Right. Yes. Yeah, of course, you know, I was doing the sessions myself at the same time at home, you know, I was continuing. So I realized that it was happening to me, and I realized that very definitely this was relieving first. As much as this was denied, you know, by psychiatrists, by psychologists, mm. that this was possible. But that's so funny, you know. If you look at it, it's so unlogical, you know. They don't accept that you can relieve birth or have that memory in your system. But then the moment you're born... It's important that you have meaningful exchange with your mother. You look at the mother looks at you. You have that bonding thing. You have a good breast experience. the rest of your life. Yes, it's crazy. doesn't make any sense. So then what they were effectively doing was denying the reality of the kind of psychotrauma that we experience from our birth experience. So they're effectively denying that it even exists so that they don't even consider that is something that needs to be worked on. Yes. So, no, and I was not putting it into the mind of my patients. And then one of the patients realized this must have been birth, you know, what was Mm. happening here. And then we started also asking for mothers or people who were at the time with birth to what extent what was happening was very similar to what they described, you know, with LSD. So at that point, I was able to find that three different stages that were clearly related to birth and uh, call them these uh, basic matrices. 
Well, it's four stages. One one is before birth, and the three are during birth. Yeah. First is before the onset of the yeah. delivery, but it belongs to the matrixes. And these are all experiences, not only that we had in utero, but that also reflect our experience in our lives, including our kind of evolving spiritual journey through life. Yes. Yes, very much. Yeah. The perinatal level and the matrixes are much more than reliving physical birth. Yeah, in the first matrix, if the situation before the birth was good, you know, mm -hmm. then it was a very fantastic experience for people. And you can start seeing things like heaven or paradise or ocean and so on. And, and then we were coming into the second matrix, the onset of delivery and the suddenly contractions start, but the cervix is not open. So you get into a totally hydraulic situation, cutting off the blood flow and so on. And so it would it be experienced like hell or hopelessness. And at the same time, when it was closed, when the, the, the cervix the was not open. And then we started opening, you know, then is the third matrix, which was like purgatory. And then you get a lot of energy, like aggression, and it's like a gigantic fight, you know, for life and death. And then comes the death rebirth process where you actually feel you're really dying and this is it, you know. It's like hitting cosmic bottom, you know. You feel like a total failure and you really don't want to go there and everything's over. And by going through this, and suddenly there's an opening to sudden liberation to the fourth matrix. Initially, I was very excited because it was clear that there were parallels to what was happening here with religion. You know, paradise and paradise lost, hell and mm -hmm. purgatory and, mm -hmm. and death rebirth. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that this cannot be coming from the fetuses, you know, mm -hmm. this, this. Yeah. Something like this is not happening in the... In birth, in physics. The birth, you know. So this was coming from somewhere else. And there were other type of experiences that were coming together with the finesses. And I started talking about it as transpersonal. Transpersonal experiences. Yeah. And prior to the transpersonal experiences, the second and third stage that you were just describing before reminded me, and this was an insight I had while reading your book, was that... This was something that I experienced when I was a child around the age of nine or 10. I went through this experience every night mm. for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And wow. it, it was totally out of any context of any mm -hmm. other experience and understanding of everything. And I had nobody to talk to about it. I, and I never did talk to anybody about it. I just went through this experience every night. I was also having a number of other experiences some of them were psychedelic-like experiences. And reading about your model of the perinatal matrices gave me a wonderful insight into my childhood experiences that I went through. And that was something that I had been seeking understanding for, for many, many years. So I'm very grateful to you for that. And, you know, it's actually very interesting what you're saying, because it's also really possible to have this kind of experiences spontaneously without asking for it, you know, and that's what we call spiritual emergence or spiritual emergency. And this can take many forms. You know, it, it looks like you could still function in your life, but you just didn't know what to do with it. But 
there are many people out there who have those experiences spontaneously and don't know what to do with it. Or they could even, when they talk to the wrong people, be diagnosed in psychiatric diagnosis, you know. So that's really, that's why it's so important that this knowledge is spread out so people know what it is and how to work with it. Yeah. And what I was experiencing as a child every night was a real embodiment of death and rebirth. And also what you call the purgatory state in between, which I experienced when doing rebirthing back in the 70s, when I was doing this kind of breath work, was physically became very painful as I experienced what they call tetany and the paralysis, mm -hmm. which I experienced in my hands and in my face and in my mm -hmm. hands because the energy got blocked. It was extremely painful to the point where I was actually taking my hands and hitting the floor with them to try to break up the energy. But I always came out of it in a very beautiful state. What you're describing leads to another subject that we can talk about that actually Stan discovered that working with LSD sometimes at the end of the session, it was not really resolved. You want to speak about that? Because yes. Yeah, you know, when we started with LSD, sometimes the result was wonderful, which is something that happened to Albert Hoffman, you know, although he had very difficult experience inside of the session, but he was reborn. Yeah. And he said this was like a completely new life. So he's one of those that there was very good resolution, but there were others. Did not that, resolve yeah. very well. Like, and, like you were saying, you know, there's like this pain that doesn't go away by itself. Yeah. And so what we are doing initially, we have to wait for 10 days, which you need to do for another things. session. And so we wait and give another and hope that it's going to be better. And then several of my patients asked me to do something. The first one was in a situation where the substance was already coming out, but he felt terrible. He felt very angry and pain mm -hmm. in the, the shoulder. And so after a while, he came to me and says, would you please, you know, push? Push there on my uh, shoulder. I think that would help. And I was doing it. And it was not enough, not enough more. At this point, I was already at the point that I was breaking my... Your thumb button. was almost oh. breaking, yeah. <laughs> but suddenly he started really roaring, you know, and started screaming mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. coughing and mm -hmm. shaking and so mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And it took a while, maybe 20 minutes or so, mm -hmm. and suddenly there was a resolution that he'll mm -hmm. feel wonderful result, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. peaceful, you know. The next one was a female patient and coming down from the LSD, mm -hmm. but in a miserable place, feels pain in the stomach and having terrible nausea. And so like a doctor, I would look at the stomach, you know, and say, was it here, was she it here? She showed exactly where and, it was and asked him to push there. So Stan was... And that point suddenly was like a projectile vomiting. I mean, just barely... Uh, missing you. And yes. so then we had to bring a bucket, bucket. and she threw up a couple of times more. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And again, it was wonderful with a very, very short time. Mm -hmm. So I realized at that point that there's something that we can do, that mm -hmm. we can actually make the session much better. Mm -hmm. And I started doing it every time when people were not quite finished. Mm -hmm. 
I was asking what is happening in the body, express whatever is happening, yeah. and sometimes helping it. And it's important that, you know, he said, express whatever wants to happen from within. That can be all kinds of sounds, movements, and really coming from the inner healing intelligence from within the person. And then there were several patients who started breathing very, very fast. Later, I saw it when I was going to Muktananda. Uh, they called it Bastrika when, when they're doing Insaga Yoga. They were, had people breathing very fast for 10 minutes and then sitting for the meditation. Okay. And so this is how I discovered that actually fast breathing can bring something from the unconscious. Later, when we came to make this breath work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I spent a year with Muktananda back in the 70s and uh, oh. You were, oh. Oh. and learned that Bastrika is breathing as well. Um, your story reminded me very much of when I was learning deep tissue massage work. We had a mm-hmm. young woman who is very quiet and actually very sweet. And whenever we started doing any kind of deep work on her, she would start screaming and cursing and pounding on the table. So, (laughs) and we then would spend the next half hour or 45 minutes with her and giving her the space and encouraging her to express whatever's coming out, just as you described. Mm -hmm. And it always resolved in a beautiful, positive way. But every single time we touched her in a deep way, she would respond Mm -hmm. that way. So it is very interesting. And I learned a lot from that experience, which was not intended in that class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, you know, this is so funny because if you dig deep into people's tissue, of course, things come up, you know, it's like rolfing. I mean, the body is stored all these memories and traumas and emotions. So if you start digging deep in there, you should give the person space and a safe environment that these processes can happen. You know, it's, it's very interesting that you have known Muktananda yeah. for years. We are very, very close with him. You know, there's another great book of Stan, When the Impossible Happens. Do you know that book? No, it sounds fascinating. Uh, we should read it. It's we really recommend that one too. It's it has a lot of wild stories that Stan experienced, and Muktananda is in that. And you know what is quite fascinating is that actually the holotropic breathwork or the Groff breathwork, as we call it now, it has many similarities to the inner process, the Kundalini, or you know the things that can happen there, the phenomena that you observe there, like the kriyas, these body postures, uh, sounds that come when the Kundalini is is awakened, which is this psycho spiritual transformational process that in Siddha Yoga is awakened by the Guru's grace, and actually. At some point, Muktananda, he did some very special ritual with Stan and Christina, and he said, you are doing my work. You know, if we had the camera, I would show it a ring from Muktananda mm-hmm. that all kinds of unusual things happened around it. It's you can in, read about it. It's written it. in the book, you know, that people, he gave amethyst to Stan and Christina and said, have them set in rings with gold. And they did. And then, you know, they were giving a workshop and Stan worked with a woman. And Both the, in, for, in Paris. Yeah. In Paris. So can you tell the story? I think it's interesting. Yeah, there was a woman who had a lot of pain in her belly that she somehow couldn't can have by, by doctors. Mm-hmm. And 
So at a certain point, I did body work cooking, and, and and she wanted more and more. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, unbelievable sound came out, and then it became very quiet, and that was gone. Pain and was gone, yeah, forever mm-hmm. for the time that we have known her. And she said, "It was amazing when you're pushing on me. Mm-hmm. It, then light, like a blue pearl." which is something that the Sita Yoga, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the blue came out from the mm-hmm. ring. And then when we were sharing, she said that this guy also came up. With a uh, red ski cap, peacock feather, dark sunglasses. <laughs> and Christina came and she had a photograph of him from her wallet showing Muktananda exactly like with the peacock feathers and stuff, like she described it. And Christina said, is it the guy? Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. When I was living at the ashram with Muktananda, one of my jobs was transcribing people's experiences. You know, lots of people were having these very magical and mystical experiences with Muktananda. And that was my job for a while was to transcribe them. That's great. Mm -hmm. So what was your experience with him? Would you like to share? Well, it's interesting. My first actual experience with Muktananda, I didn't even know who he was. It happened shortly after I moved into this Arika community in San Diego back in the mid-70s, where we were doing a lot of psycho-spiritual work and deep meditation. And this was also where we were doing primal therapy and wet and dry rebirthing and experimenting with psychedelics. And I was living in a house with nine other people, and one of them invited me into his room to do some chanting with him. And he had a picture of Muktananda on his mantelpiece, and we sat down and we chanted Om Namah Shivaya. And almost immediately, I got sucked way, way down deep inside of me, and it was a profoundly delicious experience. You know, it's hard to describe these kind of experiences. Well, for me anyway. That's amazing. So another thing that's really fascinating is how this type of therapeutic breath work accesses the same kind of experience and expansion of consciousness that psychedelics do. So could you talk about how how they work in that way and how they can produce such similar kinds of openings in our awareness well it's again yeah. you know it's the psyche it's not it's not the yeah. substance i mean we just were thinking about that actually when stan had to stop the psychedelic research for the legal reasons he had to develop some option and so he and christina at esselin developed the holotropic breathwork out of the elements that he actually learned from psychedelics and bodywork, breathwork and music and so on. And so we just talked about that recently. And actually what you said, Stan, is that it first was like a big disappointment and looked like a big loss not to be able to work with the psychedelics. But now we are back, thank God. But in the meantime, the work with the holotropic breathwork, with the rough breathwork, has shown that actually everything comes from the psyche, from within, you know. You can either access it by different means, with psychedelics, with the breathwork, or other mediums, or it can even come out spontaneously. So, again, it's not the substance. 
I mean, the substance helps to open the psyche. That's pretty clear. I mean, that's very powerful substances. But eventually, it's in our psyche. And so, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, this was the psychedelic medicine. It wasn't me, you know. And with the breath, there's nobody else. This is you. Yeah. So in a way, it's it has been very important, and it still is important, that these states can be accessed by breath work. It's very valuable. It's, it's actually very interesting that we stopped with psychedelics, you know, for 40 years, that we made it possible for us to make this breath work. And when I was working with LSD, I had the feeling that this is a great substance, you know, mm. that you can't do anything close to it. Yeah. And then we started working with breath work. Sometimes we almost think that people take something, you know, on the side. Mm. Yeah, and it was so amazing that now it become available, even for people who don't have the psychedelics available mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But even if they will available the substance, they can start with breath work and mm-hmm. learn how to do it. You know. So how does the breath work work to open up these states? It's it's as if it opens up a portal to virtually infinite possibility. Very much. The way LSD does. So, how does breath work accomplish that in us, you know, physiologically and transpersonally? Well, what we do basically when we start, people lie down on the floor and then we going actually to different parts of the body so that they relax. And what is really interesting, there are people who might be so close to the experience that at home they were fighting to, because they were afraid to let it go. Mm-hmm. And if they came to uh, breastwork with us, they realized that we are ready to work with whatever is going to come up. And so before they even start breathing, they already go into the experience that looks very much like LSD. That's really interesting. But again, it's like physiologically, can you talk about how breathwork stimulates that well, in the book on holotropic breathwork, we talk about this physiology. It's complicated, you know, to talk about it. But what happens as if you were very high mountains. Yeah. yeah, you actually don't get more oxygen in the blood, but less. It's a little complicated to explain. Yeah, I'm not very a, good at people that. People but... think that because you are breathing that you will have more oxygen, mm-hmm. you know. But what happens when you are breathing fast, you also take out the CO2. Yeah. Your blood gets in a constellation that what happens when you go in high altitude, you know, yeah. and so it's, it's maybe not an accident that there are people like in Tibet, Peru and so on who live in high altitude that have a natural access to these states because of physiology. And what happens psychologically is that actually the defense mechanisms get loose. So whatever is close to the surface from the psyche will emerge and come, you know, to consciousness and be processed. It also depends, you know, people have very different kind of strengths of defense mechanisms in their psyche. I mean, there's some people like you described, you were just going there and spontaneously these experiences started happening. And there are people who are so closed up defense mechanisms, even in a high dose LSD session, they won't notice anything, you Mm -hmm. know. So it's also with the breath work for some people, they have very hard time to get in touch with anything because they have very strong yeah. defense yeah. mechanisms. So for them, it's better to have a more high dose psychedelic session, you know, but yeah. again, and some people have experiences without even asking for it. Yeah. 
So it's it's very and, different uh, from one to, to another. I want to clarify yeah. about the effect of the breath work. You were talking about that we're actually getting less oxygen. So in effect, mm -hmm. is, is what's happening that the brain is being deprived of the oxygen it needs to operate in its normal, mundane way, what they refer to as the constant rehashing of the default mode network, which is telling these stories that that perpetuate our egoic perspective of the world and ourselves? Yeah, one could say it that yeah. way. Because yeah. it's interesting how the breath work is not about increasing the oxygen level, although they say that when you do this kind of breath work, you are depriving yourself of oxygen to a certain degree, which is why some people claim that it's dangerous to do this kind of breath work, which of course you want to do it properly and in the right set and setting. But yes. um, that's based on a kind of materialist ignorance of the therapeutic process. Yeah, it's it's not physiologically dangerous and they have no idea because like you were saying, the hyperventilation syndrome, like the cramps in the hands and so on, this has bioenergetic reasons and it's part of the process. And then you can work with this. It either goes away spontaneously or you do the body work, which is not massaging it away. But what we would actually do in the body work, we would intensify the symptom. You know, if you have a cramp in your hand, we would not try to massage it. We would take your hand and say, push against us and then express whatever wants to come out. So there's always some energy behind that, some blocked energy that wants to be liberated. And that can be helped by that kind of body work where we intensify the symptom and, you know, bring out what's behind it, what can be expressed and integrated for the healing. That's really not known in the medicine. They like to suppress symptoms yeah. and they have no idea, you know. Yeah. You know, people who do breastwork for a long time, they can breathe and never have any symptoms within mm -hmm. no tensions. So that's about clearing out the energy blockages yeah. in the body. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's also speaking about our materialistic culture. You know, we are the only culture that is separating the physical aspect of breath to the spiritual. I mean, breath usually is connected to spirit. And that's why there is no overall understanding that breathing brings the connection to spirit. I think that's the key to what I was asking before about how this kind mm -hmm. of breath work can have such yes. profound effects upon us. Yes, yes. Not just yes. Phys not just physiologically, but emotionally and psychologically. Yes, yes. The chi or the prana, the breathing with connection with the spiritual. Mm -hmm. With the spirit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's all these breathing exercises in yoga, in the yogic traditions, you know. I mean, this is all connected with breath. It's like... Breathing techniques of pranayama or in the vipassana, in the meditation, you, you're watching the breath, you know. The breath is a bridge to spirit, but our culture just forgot that. So they'll just cut it off. And, you know, so that's why there's no understanding that breathing brings a process. And opens up incredible oh, yeah. possibilities beyond what we would yes. consider to be possible in the West. Like I was yes. also very fortunate to be initiated into an esoteric, Tibetan Buddhist practice of the Tumo fire, in which through the use of certain breathing and visualization and mantra generating 
heat in our bodies. That's actual physiological heat through yes. through this process. So breath work is incredibly powerful, and there probably are no limits to what's possible with breath work. Yes, yes. It's a powerful tool. And every tradition seems to have their own special niches of practice in the realm of breathwork. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also yeah. the voice, you know, I mean, like mantras or kirtans, I mean, the, the sacred chanting is very powerful too, and you use your breath for chanting. And also, you talked about how breathwork can relax the sympathetic nervous system, which activates mm -hmm. the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the state of peace in yes. which everything can open up and unfold naturally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the holotropic method or in psychedelic sessions, spontaneous breathing arises. And I sometimes feel it's like a vacuum cleaner that goes through the whole body. And then there could be periods where you're almost not breathing at all, where you're just very quiet and peaceful. So we see that a lot in the workshops. And sometimes you think somebody's lying quietly and almost not breathing, or maybe they don't experience anything. But we have learned if they have started with a good breath in the beginning and they come to that state, we leave them alone because they're probably in a very, very deep state. That doesn't look like much from the outside, but it's really surprising what later people would report what they experienced. So actually ask people, you know, to find their own way how to breathe, yeah. not to tell them something specifically that they mm. should be mm. doing. You know? Well, they start out deeper and faster. And then after a while, they just find their own rhythm and follow what the breath wants to do and what it brings up. Yeah. More recently, I've been experimenting again with different types of breath work and having that kind of experience where I start out using a certain breathing pattern. And then often when I do it, it totally quiets my mind so that my normal ego consciousness just evaporates. And I realize at a certain point that I haven't even been breathing for a period of time. I mean, I have no idea how long it is, but at mm -hmm. times it feels like it's been a really long time. And yet there's no issue of lack of oxygen or any problem with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you get lack of oxygen, your body will react and do something. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We have never had any problems in the workshops. I mean, I even worked with a woman through an asthmatic attack in the session. So how did you deal with that? Well, first of all, I mean, we ask people if they have a problem that they bring a spray. So we are physiologically safe. But usually problems with breathing have an underlying trauma or history, which is often birth, because often people in birth have a period where they can't breathe because the umbilical cord is squeezed. So the oxygen is not coming through or they had umbilical mm -hmm. cord around the neck or something like that. So what is the key in, in this experience is when they come up is to encourage the person to make sounds, to allow the sounds mm -hmm. to express it, even if it's like, I can't breathe, because it's usually a memory. I mean, we'll make sure that they're not constricted in a way that they can't breathe now, yeah. but then to express with a voice, whatever comes up, you know, and they usually have a lot of physical reaction, like shaking or pushing and screaming or whatever. And just some people who have problems, you know, with breathing. It's usually a memory where they were drowning or there was something happening in the past that is not finished. 
and when they were with it, they can clear it and open it up. Well, this brings up another theme, which we think is really important. You shouldn't do deep breath work alone. We always work with sitters. We always work in pairs because, you know, if you really want to work on yourself, you need to find a facilitator who is trained because it's easy to breathe, you know, but you can really get into states where you need help. If something like that happens, you would want to have somebody with you who knows how to work through that. Talk about the results of your work with your LSD patients, as well as your holotropic breathwork patients, you know, the kind of changes that have emerged in their lives from doing this kind of work. You know, we have seen asthma, for example, working through. We have seen people who had problem with hands. Cold hands. And it can result a lot of, you know, chronic pains which don't have any disease, but memory or something. So we have seen quite a bit, you know, different change that can happen. Now, what is most interesting, if people are going for a series of them, you know, they seem to change in a way that's similar with each other. First of all, when the people work out the perinatal level, then, you know, you would be less driven because from the perinatal experience, you know that something better is in the future. So you're kind of in a rat race attitude. And the more you get rid of these energies, the more you would relax and quiet down and be more in the here and now. And that through the experiences in these states, you experience that you're connected with everything. Everything's connected and everybody and also the connection with nature and the planet and the cosmos. So what would result automatically after a while is that people become more peaceful. They become more spiritual without being attached to a certain religion. And they also become naturally ecological because they know whatever you do to the earth, you do to yourself, you know. I mean, we are all connected on the planet. We are global citizens. But this is like not something you have to educate people. It just it just comes automatically from the experiences. People feel very similar like what happened uh, when they were in the air, you know. They're, like the astronauts the happened when they looked down to the earth. They had really experiences that change them completely, you know. To see this is one planet, you know, we are planetary citizens. So there are no real borders. You know, so the awareness of this kind of planetary... You know, violent, violent, you know, is not a way of solving problems, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, but you don't have to tell them. I mean, it's just like you feel that. That a certain spirituality develops, yes. you know, yeah. which is universal. Yeah, it's not bound to a certain... A specific religion, yeah. very similar to what you find in mystical religions. Yes. So it's a kind of arising of a unifying kind of an experience where we recognize that we're not separate from anything around us and that everything we do to anything else we're actually doing to Mm -hmm. ourselves at the same time, but it's not an intellectual understanding. It's a direct visceral kind of experience. Yes, exactly. Remembering. Right. Remembering that which was always present for our you could say, perinatal experiences that overshadowed all of that. Yeah, that somehow made us forget who we really are. Kind of traumatized us out of our natural state of being into what Eckhart Tolle talks about as our pain body. Yes, yeah. 
So now perhaps you could talk about the training work that you do and also how people can access holotropic breath work if they want to have this kind of an experience. Yeah, in 2020, we created a new training, the Groff Legacy Training. You find it in the internet, grofflegacytraining.com. And we have trainings in many countries and in the States. A new training is starting. So you will find their international trainings we have on the website. So wherever you are in the world, you can find something in your country or nearby. And we authorize, you know, the good teachers in the countries to teach the training and the Groff legacy, you know, Stan's legacy, Stan and Christina's legacy. And we supervise them, but we are not getting any profit from that. And we had to rename Holotropic Breathwork for various reasons. Now we call it Groff Breathwork, but that's the original form, how Stan wants the work to be done. We have a psychedelic training in Canada, which you also find in the Groff legacy website. We have a psychedelic training in Spain, and we have a combination of breathwork training and psychedelic training in the northern countries. So you will find this on our websites and breathwork trainings, and there's going to be more psychedelic trainings coming out of that because we really feel it's very important that people are well-trained to be psychedelic sitters or therapists and not just theoretically but they need to know sense theory and they need to have practice and experience and the breath work is really a good way to learn the attitude that a good therapist should have and to learn about the body work and to make your own experiences and sit for people and get familiar and comfortable with that also people who have done breath work who were not able to with psychedelics here they then take to different places with shamans, you know, in Peru or in yeah. other places. They become very interested in non-ordinary states because they know what you can get out of it. Yes. So again, it's graflegacytraining.com. That's the international website. And then there are the different countries are, are there. People are so interested in psychedelics. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that there are very few people who know how to do it. And so bad when people are start doing it on their own and so on. It's a big problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I did a few sessions myself. Which we don't recommend. And even today, after so many sessions that I have done, I would really rather to have somebody with me because I never know what might happen. Oh, today. Yeah. Much safer, yeah. Yeah, I look back upon my past experience and how wonderful it would have been to have had someone to guide me when I was actually in the session so that I could actually make the most of the experience that I was having. Well, and also if you get into a situation where you relive some abandonment, which mostly everybody has, it's really important to have somebody there who is very loving and supportive and can hold your hand or hold you in the arms or whatever. So you can actually have a corrective experience and not experience the same trauma again. That would be like re-traumatizing. So that's very important also that there can be a corrective experience by supportive contact. But it's also important that this is ethically correct to make sure that the boundaries are respected. I mean, the idea if you are in such a vulnerable state and your boundaries are not respected would be terrifying. So that's a a very important thing. Yeah, the energy of of the person who's either sitting or facilitating the process. Like 
when I was doing the, the rebirthing work, I often worked with a particular man. But when I did the hot tub rebirthing sessions, I did that mm. with a woman who was a mother and the quality of the experience was very, very different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another thing, you know, that people who think that they can handle any kind of substance by themselves, it's possible, but they don't get the best experience, you know? Yeah. Well, I would just like to add something before we end. What is really important or is a big characteristic of Stan's attitude or work with these states is that we do not impose anything on people. We create a safe set and setting and then we're sitting. I mean, we're not guiding the people. We just wait what comes from the inner healing intelligence of the person. And we just follow that and support whatever is emerging. You know, we're not telling people what to do or what not to do. We're not interpreting. We don't talk them into it or we don't have a theme for the session or anything. We're just there and trust that there is an inner wisdom in the person that will unfold and guide the person from within. So we are just like helping that. And if the energy gets stuck or blocked or something, we help to bring it out. But we are not guiding the person in the sense that we tell them what to do or what not to do. It's really very important and it's very empowering and very liberating, this attitude. And I'm so grateful for Stan that he has that attitude and I could learn it from him because that's such a freedom, you know, and also that the knowledge that we're all our own experts and we find our answers that come from within and we just need to learn to listen and trust and follow that inner wisdom and that healing energy. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been so wonderful to get to know you and connect with you and talk about this wonderful, fascinating subject with you. It's great to talk with somebody, you know, who has experienced quite a bit yourself. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for connecting with us and for doing this. And we're sending much love to you and to everybody out there who is listening. Bye-bye. 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 My guests have been Stanislav Groff and Brigitte Groff. Stan Groff is a world-renowned psychotherapist and explorer of consciousness through psychedelics and breathwork, beginning back in the 1950s. And he's the founder of Holotropic Breathwork and Groff Breathwork, and the author of numerous books, including The Way of the Psychonaut and When the Impossible Happens. Brigitte Graf is a psychologist, psychotherapist, and artist, and she's been facilitating holotropic breathwork workshops and training since 1989. And we've been talking about their new book, which is a celebration of Stan's 90th birthday, titled Stanislav Graf, LSD Pioneer, From Pharmacology to Archetypes. <laughs> And that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. If you missed any of the show or would like to hear it again, you can find this and all Magical Mystery Tour shows at soundcloud.com slash WGDR. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. <laughs>